I was tempted to consider changing my message this morning after I heard our brother Norman's morning announcements, in which last night he went to his computer and to use his words, he saw a couple bars and was up till one in the morning. But, but, but there is the etymology of words, and it's interesting what happens to words down through time. Mm. And Brother Joe's on his computer and finds himself in Thessalonica, and there's all <laughs> Okay. We're going to continue on with some uh, gleanings from Isaiah, and this time I'd like you to go to Isaiah 55, please. Isaiah chapter 55. where the aspect of our spiritual or personal salvation will come before us. Not the judgment upon nations and their sins, but the forgiveness of our sins. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1. A very open invitation in this gospel prophet. 55.1 Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye. Buy and eat, yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God will bless the reading of his word. Not here delivering his people from the oppressing nations, but pardoning their own sins. And in this very open invitation here to everyone that thirsteth to come. Probably the greatest promise in the Bible to a sinner is made here in Isaiah 55. And that would be in verse 3. I'm going to reread verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me, Hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. God offering to anyone that is thirsty an everlasting covenant. A covenant is more than just a promise. It's a formal promise. It's binding. You can promise to take somebody out to dinner. There's nothing binding about that, though. You could get an appointment change, you know. But in marriage, that's a covenant. That's a binding, formal promise, and it will happen. And so God, God wants to make an everlasting covenant with us, even the sure mercies of David. To me, it's the greatest promise God can offer us, the sure mercies of David. Offering to whosoever thirsty an everlasting covenant with you. You see, when you use that word sure, it means positively, guaranteed, uh, for sure. Uh, uh, the sure mercies. Mercy means to withhold the punishment your sin is due. That you deserve it, but mercy will be shown. And so he's promising to make to whosoever here. 
an everlasting covenant, not for four years, not for ten years, forever. The sure, absolutely, positively guaranteed mercies of David. So what we'd like to consider this morning as looking at other scriptures as they expand this thought and deal with this thought is the sure mercies of David. What indeed is this great promise to the wicked, the sure mercies of David? And he's offering it to all who will come. Let's go back. We're going to do a progressive study this morning with the help of the Lord. You'll be turning in various scriptures. We'll be starting in 2 Samuel and ending in Revelation and just to see this thought of the sure mercies of David, of how it develops and what it is that God is offering. So, so let's go back and start in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, please. And uh, as we arrive at 2 Samuel 7, David is Israel's second king. Saul was there first, and God brought his dynasty to an end because of his disobedience. And he picked, a, he picked a new line, a new person, David. And then he appears to David while he is king. David had wanted to build God a house, a temple. While it was a good thought, God reminded him, I never asked you to. God says, rather than what you're going to build me now, David, it's what I'm going to do for you, what I'm going to build you. And God makes David a tremendous promise here. And let's look at this promise that he makes David here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and uh, verse 11. 7-11, communicating to David through Nathan the prophet. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thy enemies, all the, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. You're interested in making me a house, David? It's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make you a house. You say, well, he had a palace. What does he need a house for? Speaking of a royal family, a royal dynasty, a household, look at the context as he goes on to say, verse 12, and when thy days uh, be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. In other words, the next king that will rule for me over my people will not be who gets the most votes, will not be somebody else. It'll be your offspring. It'll be your seed that comes to the throne and I'll establish his kingdom. And God indicated in other scriptures he would choose Solomon that was yet to be born here. Uh, verse 13. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And now the promise is getting bigger. Not only will you be a royal line, David, you'll be a royal line forever. I'll establish his kingdom forever, not four years, not eight years, forever. That God's royal line to rule for him will come from David's seed and be forever. It goes on to say in verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. If your son disobeys me, he's going to be chastened. He, I'm going to have to deal with his sin. But in spite of that, David, there's something I will never do. Verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. My mercy. I will never withdraw this promise. I will never cancel this promise. I will give undeserved favor. I will give mercy. Though I will deal with their iniquity, 
I'll never bring your dynasty, this kingdom that your son will inherit, to an end. I did it with Saul. Saul's son lasted two years in the kingdom, and that was it, and the house of Saul was over forever. But David, I won't do that to you. I, I, I will keep your dynasty, your household, your seed going forever. That's my promise. My mercy will not depart. Well, verse 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. A kingdom and a throne forever. Out of David's seed, David's offspring, in spite of their failure, which they'll have earthly consequences for, God's promise, God's mercy will never depart. It will remain forever. You know, as God says in uh, Judges 2.1, I will never break my covenant with you. We live in a world that breaks covenants. That's why we have so many lawyers, divorce lawyers, you know. People break their covenant. They break their peace pacts. They're called covenant breakers, the godless society in Romans 1.31. But that's not God. When God makes a promise and attaches his name to it, I will never break my covenant to you. My mercy will never depart. David is humbled by all this. He knew what it meant. Look at verse 18 of 2 Samuel 7. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hither to? You know, who am I to do this to? But he understood what God did. Look at the last verse of the chapter, verse 29, 729. Therefore now... Let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. I don't deserve it, but you said it, and I believe it. And let the house continue forever. And we've come across God's choice in a royal dynasty, and who will rule for God, will rule on his throne, and be of the offspring, the seed of David, forever. And that is the mercy that God is offering David, later called a covenant. Uh, the, the sure mercies of David that in spite of your son's failure, in spite of failure, my mercy shall not depart from you. The kingdom will be established forever. With that promise in mind, as we begin the sure mercies of David, let's progress to 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12. The chosen son Solomon had not been born yet. But David has committed a grievous sin, as you know, by the time you get to 2 Samuel 12. He has committed adultery with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and to cover up her illegitimate pregnancy, he orchestrated the murder plot of Uriah, guilty of adultery and murder, and eventually his sin is exposed. Now in that, as Nathan the prophet comes to David, look at verse 9 of 2 Samuel 12. Verse 9 of 2 Samuel 12. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. You killed Uriah, and you took his wife. Those are deep sins. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Verse 12, For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So there's going to be earthly family consequences in the house of David. However, 
Look at verse 13. Verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He confesses and now acknowledges that he's the sinner. I have sinned against the Lord. However, David is under law. And according to the very law of God, David is a dead man. Listen to the law in Deuteronomy 22:22. If a man be found lying with a woman that is married to an husband, then both of them shall die. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. According to the holy law of God, David and Bathsheba were consigned to capital punishment, death. And David says, I have sinned. Well, what's the next words going to be from God? Well, look, look at verse 13. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. David is under a greater promise of God called the sure mercies of David. Uh, his throne would have came to an end here. The chosen son hadn't been born yet. David's adultery, David's murder plot could not stop the sure mercies of David. And based on God's covenant in this merciful promise, God will work in the framework of that covenant. I will never break my covenant with you. And you have a God that his actions will be bound to his promises. And he says, thou shalt not die. And David is spared the penalty, the punishment of his sin, not based on law, but based on this marvelous promise, the sure mercies of David, that adultery couldn't bring it in, and neither could murder plotting. Having said that, David is spared. He eventually has that son, Solomon, who comes to the throne and will eventually build the temple of God. Progress with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11 on the sure mercies of David. 1 Kings 11, and though he built the house of God and many other things, in his later years this happened in 1 Kings 11 verse 1 to Solomon, David's son. 1 Kings 11 and verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord had said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. They'll get your heart. He didn't listen to that. And he gave these various women his heart, and they took his heart, verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Verse 4, for it came to pass that when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, and was the heart of David his father. You know, honey, come to my church too if you love me. And so he did. And the man who built the house of God started to go to the house of other gods. As it goes on to say here, look at verse uh, uh, 5. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build, not the temple of God here, built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. He was a great builder, but he built the house of pagan gods too, shrines for them. Verse 8, 
And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burn incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. God's anger against Solomon, idolatry now, not just idolatry and murder plotting, but now the king is guilty of idolatry, apostatizing to other gods. Verse 11, God says this in his judgment, Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Uh Uh-oh. You're not going to get the kingdom anymore, and I'm going to take this kingdom from you, this house of Israel, and I'm going to give it to your servant. The problem is a servant isn't the seed of David. (laughs) So much for the sure mercies of David that my mercy will never depart. But Solomon will enter into this judgment, but God never works outside the framework of his promise of his covenant. And so he goes on to qualify this judgment in verse 12. Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, verse 13, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. You're going to lose it, but not 100%. You're going to lose 10 out of 12 tribes. I'm going to leave you with just one tribe. That turned out to be Benjamin. The northern part, the larger part would be Israel. The southern part would be known as Judah with its capital, Jerusalem. And that small part of Israel now would now still continue with the seat of David and the throne of David and the capital of Jerusalem. I'm doing it not for your sake. I'm reducing your kingdom, but not taking away completely because of David, my servant's sake. The sure mercies of David. That even idolatry will not cause God to go back on his promise. I will never break my covenant with you. And though there will be discipline to Solomon, uh, mercy is shown to the seed of David because of a promise not of works, a promise of the sure mercies of David. Well, time goes on in that southern kingdom of Judah, and there are good kings and there are bad kings. And if you'll progress with me in this subject to 2 Chronicles chapter 21. 2 Chronicles chapter 21, please. One of the good sons of David in southern Israel and Judah has died. That's verse 1, 2 Chronicles 21 and 1. Now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his stead. Good king had a bad son, Jehoram. Look what he did. Verse 2. And he had the brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michal, and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. And their father gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and of precious things with fenced cities in Judah. You know, when your father's a king, you get a present, it's a city, you know, with a wall around it. But, at the end of verse 3, but the kingdom gave he to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. So by firstborn rights, Jehoram, whether a good man or a bad man, inherits this seed of David, the throne of Israel. But he's not a good man. Look at verse 4. 
Now when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword and divers also the princes of Israel. So no one would compete for his throne or maybe assassinate him. He carried out assassination of the royal seed and destroyed many of the princes and his brothers so that he would kind of guarantee his throne, not trusting God at all to maintain it. Verse 5, Jehoram was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why would a man who's an assassin be even given eight years? There's a reason God gave him eight years, so he could have some children after what he did. For look at the next verse, verse 7. Howbeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David as he promised to give a light to him and to his sons forever. Adultery, idolatry, murder, and now assassination, and God won't destroy that whole house and it will give a little mercy to the extension of the king here because he made a promise to David forever. The sure absolutely positively guaranteed mercies withholding due punishment of David and I will make that with you God says an everlasting covenant and so the kingdom goes on and then you progress to second chronicles 22 and that offspring there uh, Athaliah the current king or excuse me Ahaziah the current king dies and that brings us to 2210 2-10 of second chronicles But when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal of the house of Judah. Here's a woman who had no right to the throne. But she says, my son is dead. (laughs) Who's next? Not those other boys. She says, I'm going to be next. And she commits treason. And she arranges a murder of the whole seed, of the royal seed of the house of David. The line of David has come to an end, except the next verse. Verse 11, but Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons that were slain, and put him and his nurse in a bedchamber. So so the daughter of the king smuggles out this little one-year-old baby, still in in a nursing stage, and takes his nurse and hides him in a bedchamber, and verse 11 goes on to say, so, so Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiadai, king of the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she slew him not. She never knew he existed because he was hiding. Look where she hid him in verse 12. And he was with him hid in the house of God six years, and Athaliah reigned over the land. She didn't go to the house of God. What a place to hide him. She was an idolatress. She's not going to go there. And in one of those chambers, a little one-year-old baby preserved by the daughter there is still alive. The house of David has come down to one little one-year-old baby. But I will never take my mercy from you, David. It's sure. It's positively. In spite of treason. And so as that little boy gets older, the priest gathers Israel together. And look at chapter 23. Chapter 23 gathers Judah together. And look at verse 3. 2 Chronicles 23 and verse 3. And all the congregation made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said unto them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said. 
of the sons of David. And as a seven-year-old boy, he's installed in the throne of Israel. And he says, announce it, the king's son shall reign, just like he said to David. Comes down, it goes through treason and all kind of wicked politics. And yet the promise of the sure mercies of David stand. Well, as time goes on, this mercy of God would make Israel's songbook. As they would sing songs about God and, and see his sure mercies to David, they would begin to understand the mercy of God. Let's go to the, one of the song numbers in Israel's songbook known as the Psalms. If you go to Psalm 89, please. The 89th Psalm. We still sing it today. If I could sing, I would, but I'm not one of those singing preachers, all right? Uh, Psalm 89, and you look at verse 1. Psalm 89 and verse 1. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Mercy, withholding punishment. God's faithful to his word, what he says. Verse 2. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall thou establish in the very heavens. How do they understand that? Verse 3, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto my David my servant. I made an oath with him. I gave him my formal promise, a covenant. Look at verse 4. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations, Selah. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, for thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. Look at, look at verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is the strong Lord like unto thee? Or to thy faithfulness round about thee, and so on. Understand the mercy of the Lord and what he swore to David. Further in this psalm, if you go later in Psalm 89 and, and look, look at verse 27. Psalm 89 and verse 27. Also I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne is the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Quoting from 2 Samuel 7, the sure mercies of David. Look at verse 33. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. I'll not lie to David. Adultery, idolatry, murder, assassinations, treason, and it makes Israel's songbook that God means what he says in his word, this great gospel promise of the sure mercies of David. Eventually, through David's sons, not only the kings apostatized, the whole nation did, they turned to adultery. Northern Israel first, and God sent the Assyrians in the 700s B.C.s to capture and, and, and to bring northern Israel to an end. Judah survived till about 586 B.C. when he sent Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and would destroy that Jewish temple 
and lead them into 70 years of captivity to teach them a lesson about going to other gods. And as he chose Jeremiah the prophet to now just not speak to an apostate king, but an apostate nation on the eve of their destruction as the Babylonians were coming, Jeremiah still holds out in this dark hour the promise of the faithfulness of God to David. Even national apostasy won't bring it to an end. We've already read that in Isaiah 55. Days of declension, people sick in sin from the head to the toe, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, even the sure mercies of David. Look how Jeremiah does it. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 33, please. Jeremiah 33. In all the pronouncement of the judgment of why Judah's losing the land and the temple, and yet I want to take you to verse 26 of Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33. And instead of 26, make it 16. And just for good measure, make it 15, okay? Chapter 33 and verse 15, please. 33, 15. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved. This is messianic. And Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith uh, she shall be called, the Lord, our righteousness, for thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to set upon the throne of the house of Israel. It is true, brothers and sisters, the throne of David came to an end for a while in the Babylonian captivity and after. But the seed of David never did. God kept maintaining the seed and he revived the throne later. And so the throne of David uh, uh, would be empty for a while, but there would never lack a man that's able to set upon it. <laughs> it's his promise anyway. Look at verse 18. Neither shall the priests, the Levites, want a man before me to offer burnt offerings and to kindle meat offerings and to do sacrifice continually. And the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, If ye can break my covenant of this day and my covenant of the night, that there should not be a day and night in their season. With all our technology today, and things we can do, put man on the moon and space voyagers, we, we can't change night and day, the ordinance of the movement of the earth and the sun and the planets. We, we don't change any of that. Can, can we change these ordinances of God night and day? Well, you can't. It's impossible, you say. Well, verse 21. Then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, uh, my ministers. If you can tamper with outer space and change night and day, he says, that's how sure my promise to David is. He'll have a man upon the throne. The sure mercies of David. Verse 22. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the seed of David, my servant, and the Levites that minister unto me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Considerest thou not what this people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord hath chosen, he hath even cast them off. It is true he did, but he said, That's not the final story. Thus they have despised my people, that they should be no more a nation before them. Thus saith the Lord God, or the Lord, Even if my covenant be not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then will I cast away the seed of Jacob, and David my servant, 
so that I will not take any of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captivity to return and have mercy upon them. And now we learn the attacks against Israel, the defeats of Israel, will not stop the sure mercies of David. They say, well, it's over. And God says, yeah, they'll, they'll return someday. As sure as outer space and the earth and the sun and the moon and gravity and day and night, as sure as that is, and that's been going on for thousands of years, uh, that's how sure my promise is to David. Even national apostasy, even Israel conquered by the Gentiles, none of that can stop the promises, the sure mercies of David. That was in about 586 B.C. Hundreds of years go by, and there's no seat of David upon the throne because there's no throne of David. It's the times of the Gentiles. Alexander the Great will be ruling them. The Roman Caesars will be ruling them. And then we had that time, like we said, over 500 years. Will time stop the sure mercies of David? That brings us to the New Testament. Do you know how the New Testament starts? Very first verse, Matthew 1.1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That seed has been preserved. The very first verse gives the claim of this king that he's alive and his name is Jesus. He's the son of David. Go more on this here to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. Israel's defeats, time, apostasy, adultery, idolatry, treason, assassination, man's failure. And I will never break my covenant with you. And if you want it, I'll give you the sure mercies of David, God says. As we go to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel, who appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament, now appears to this virgin girl named Mary. You look here in Luke chapter 1, after over almost 600 years of Gentile dominion over Israel, look at verse 26, Luke 1 and verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in under her and said, Hail thou that are highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Never quite been greeted like that. You look at verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. God becomes a man. And it's conceived through the biological line of the seed of David. And he has a right to that throne. Verse 33. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And God's answer to the seed of David is his son who will reign forever. It hasn't been lost. All kinds of things have happened. But one day God keeps his promise and sends the seed of David, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might say, as wonderful as that is, don't you understand he did not end up on the throne? He ended up crucified. Pilate said, behold your king. He said, we have no king but Caesar. Pilate said in Matthew 27, 22, what shall I then do with Jesus, which is called Christ or Messiah? They all answered, let him be crucified. 
They put a crown of thorns upon his head, and he never did reign on the throne of Israel and conquer the Romans. You say, it's a wonderful promise. The seed of David has come, but he's dead and he's buried, as the hymn writer says. And so there he died, a king crucified. And written above him, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And now we come to death. Can death end the promise of God? The seed of David has come, but he has died and is buried. I'd like to take you to Acts 13, please, in the progression of the sure mercies of David. Acts chapter 13. Paul's preaching in a little Antioch in synagogue. And let's break in on his message here in verse 22. Acts 13 and verse 22. And when he had removed him, that's King Saul, verse 22. When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a, a Savior, Jesus. God kept that promise. He sent Jesus of the seed of David. But he goes on to admit that Christ did die. Paul doesn't run from that, that he did die uh, as he offers this word of salvation to all that are there. You look at verse 27. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Yes, he's the seed of David, but he doesn't shy away from his death. He died according to scriptures, and he was buried. So death has stopped the sure mercies of David. Not exactly. Look at the next verse, verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. God raises him up, and the seed of David is alive again. God raised him from the dead, and look at verse 31. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, the gospel, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again. The promise he would suffer, but there's glory after and the resurrection keeps the seed of David going. As he goes on to give scripture in verse 33, it is also written in the second psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now watch verse 34 based on his resurrection. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. God says to his son in resurrection, you get these sure mercies. In spite of man's failure, Israel's crucifixion of you, I will give you by resurrection the sure mercies of David. Paul then turns to his audience. He then turns to his audience with this word of salvation, and he offers them, look at verse 38. Verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. 
You too get the sure mercies of David. Every sin you've done, God will show you mercy. Isn't that our gospel message? Not by works of righteousness of which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, Titus 3.5. We are children of wrath, Ephesians 2.2. But Ephesians 2.3, but Ephesians 2.4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love for with he loved us has quickened us together with Christ, even when we are dead in our sins, by grace ye are saved, verse 5, withholding our punishment and through Christ in grace and his death forgiving us, forgiveness of sins. I will give you the sure mercies of David and God raised his son up so we could have this gospel. And absolutely, positively guaranteed the pardon of sins, no matter what they are. And they're guaranteed forever, an everlasting covenant. When Paul explains this gospel in the book of Romans, just go quickly to Romans chapter 1. He brings in the seed of David. Romans chapter 1. As he begins to give this gospel, he says in verse 3, Romans chapter 1 and verse 3. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. According to the flesh, he's the seed of David. He goes on in this gospel, if you'll go to Romans 3. Based on the redemption that's in Christ, Christ dying on the cross, shedding that precious blood as a perfect sacrifice for sin. Based on that offering to God that we talked about last night. Look at Romans 3 and verse 25. Romans 3 and verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That means a satisfactory sacrifice. A sacrifice that has satisfied God's claims. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Oh, the forbearance, the long-suffering of God. The remission of sins that are past. Brothers and sisters, those aren't the sins you did yesterday. Those are the sins of the Old Testament saints. How could God forgive David that day who was dead according to the law? God knew in his forbearance Christ would die on that cross. And knowing that there would be a propitiation by his precious blood, God could say, Thou, your sin has been put away, you shall not die. David was standing on the gospel covenant of mercy that he's offering all. In spite of what he did, it's not by works. And God was satisfied that he didn't gloss over David's sin. There was death. Christ died. The propitiation through his blood. Someone died for David and God got his penalty of death and he would be perfectly righteous in forgiving the remission of sins that are past. And that is how Old Testament, the basis of the legality of the salvation of Old Testament saints. And then to help us understand this free gospel by grace and mercy, not by works, you go to chapter 4 of Romans and look at verse 5. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Not what you, it's not what you do or didn't do, your faith in Christ. God counts that as righteousness. You have trouble understanding that? God goes back to David. Look at verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. David knew something about it. 
David, what did you do to get right with God? <laughs> I said, I, I admitted I sinned. I did nothing. It was over for me. God put away my sin. Righteousness without works. Look at the next verse. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That is put it on his record book. What did David know about that? Everything. The sure mercies of David. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David, now through the person of the Lord Jesus. Crucified and risen again. As wonderful as that is, you say, it's fantastic. You know, death couldn't stop it, time couldn't stop it, uh, the defeat of Israel can't stop it, uh, uh, apostasy, adultery, I don't, that's wonderful. But you say, he's still not ruling today. Well, yeah, he's saving people, but he's still not ruling. Revelation chapter 5, please. John sees a future scene here in Revelation chapter 5. Hasn't happened yet. But it's a legal procedure in heaven's courtroom, in the judicial halls of heaven at the throne room. And you look at verse 2 of Revelation 5. Revelation 5 and verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Now, without taking the time to get into this in detail, the book is like the title deed to govern earth. Who has a right to judge all these kingdoms and the sinners? That's the context of Revelation. And then rule and put down sin and rule for God. That book is to claim to the throne, to judge and to rule. The title deed to the kingdom of this world. Uh, who, who's worthy uh, is the question. You know, Verse 3, and no man in heaven nor in the earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither look thereon. You know, we've all sinned. No man can say, you have to have a pure heart to rule for God, Psalm 24. So, so who's worthy? And no man is worthy. Will this world stay under in satanic usurpation and dominance forever? Is it a mess like this forever? Well, John cries because of that, verse 4. I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. There's one place he didn't look. The elder says you've got to look one other place, so to speak. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. He's prevailed. He's risen. He's ascended. He's on the right hand of the majesty on high. Look at verse 6. And I beheld it lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. There's the crucified Christ now risen. The man, not on earth, not in heaven per se, but he's in the middle of God's throne. He is God. That's where he'll find a man, the root of David. And he's prevailed. He's, he's worthy. The seed of David is alive. He's in the middle of God's throne. And this book said he's coming back to earth to claim his kingdom someday. And he'll put down all the evil. And he'll rule for God. And the seed of David will go on forever. Uh, righteousness and peace on earth. And we'll learn about that this afternoon, Lord willing. But look how Revelation closes. God will keep his promise. First, he's saving people for the kingdom. But once that's over, he's coming back. I come quickly, he says. But at the end of this very book, as he encourages his churches in these truths, the, the, the ultimate put down of evil and the crushing of evil and the establishment of the rule of God in the seat of David, the Lord Jesus, in case we think it's fantasy, 
Revelation 22 and verse 16. 22, 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. I'm from David. The promise is kept. History has proved it. I'm coming back to reign. Behold, I come quickly. I'm the root of David. I'm the offspring of David. Did you ever see a family tree? And you see the root and great, great, great granddaddy. And little niece and nephews are all at the top, you know. How can you be at the root and up there on the top branches, you know? Root and offspring? He was the creator of David. <laughs> and then he was born in the flesh of David. He's the root and offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. I testify to you in the churches, this sure mercies of David. You can be saved now. You're an everlasting covenant. I'll pardon your iniquity, no matter how deep it is. And not only that, it'll be forever. And not only that, I'll reign. And we will reign with him. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, even the sure mercies of David. So brothers and sisters, may God encourage you in a covenant-keeping God, in a God in his legal thinking. He's a God who doesn't break promises, thank the Lord. And you have this God, and, and through David, he has revealed his master plan in the Lord Jesus and offers it to whoever will come to him. What, what a God we have. Let's just close in prayer. Our Father, we just rejoice in thee through the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of David. As Timothy was reminding us, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised again from the dead according to my gospel. And therefore, we have this mercy offered to us. And we have a kingdom, for, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. There's better days coming, and they're guaranteed. Even the time of the church age can't stop it in failure. He will come again. Death couldn't stop him. Israel's defeat, apostasy, all these things thy word has told us. And now the failure of the church age, he will come again. And he testifies in the churches. He's the root and offspring of David. Father, we rejoice in thy grace, thy mercy this morning. It's all of thee. And we praise thee, Father, in the name and for the blessed seed of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even say, even so, come Lord Jesus. In the Lord Jesus' name we thank thee. Amen. Design something.